0: So in the beginning, God creates everything out of nothing. Uh, He creates the heavens above. uh, He creates the deepest oceans below. He creates the ground under our feet and everything that moves upon it. He creates people who are unique among creation. And he declares that it all exists for his glory and it's all very good. And last week we began to consider how it could be that God creates this kind of world and says that it exists for His glory and says that it's all very good and He creates human beings in His own likeness and image and then stuff like this happens. And it's not just static images on a screen. It's the teenager battling terminal cancer. It's the little child in an ICU bed with parents desperately waiting for some good news. It's people dealing with divorce and families being ripped apart with suicide and the scourge of addiction. It's people experiencing bereavement and loss. It's all these kinds of things. Why is there so much pain and suffering and sorrow and separation and death in this world? Well, the answer to that question takes us to Genesis chapter 3. It takes us from the world created the way that God intended it to be in Genesis 1 and 2 to discovering where it all went wrong in Genesis 3. And last week, we spent our time carefully going through the text and unpacking the text. This morning, our approach is going to be a little bit different but no less important because this morning, we're going to tackle a really tough issue that is a struggle for many of us personally Uh, but also a significant challenge for us, for a lot of us, in talking about the gospel with others. And if you're not a believer here today, it may be a question that you struggle with, and that is the problem of suffering. How can it be that we live in a world where there is suffering if there really is a good God? And so I'm going to read again a story that is very familiar to most, if not all of us, and I just want to let this powerful story challenge us about where evil comes from and what we're supposed to do about it. So Genesis chapter 3, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. One of the possibly the most common objection thrown at the Christian faith is something like this. How can a loving God allow suffering? If God is loving and he's powerful, then there wouldn't be any suffering. But there is suffering, so obviously God doesn't exist. It's very common, very powerful argument. It's one that you have to stop and think about. it. There's no quick, instant answer that you can give someone that negates that argument. But anybody who spends any time at all in the world will find that argument comes up against you a lot. And so I think it's important that we have a good careful way of engaging this question rather than simply, you know, going quick, let's get the off-the-shelf solution. And so what I want us to consider this morning is a series of questions that, that have helped me with this question, and they're questions that I think can help any of us who might struggle with the promise, the, the problem of suffering ourselves, and, and they're questions that can really help us engage with others about this issue as well. Uh, you know, when, when someone asks you a difficult. Uh, questions. You can sometimes be tempted to say, quick, off-the-shelf answer. Here's a book. Here's a, a sermon I heard. And, and you download it for a half an hour and the person's like, you know, goodness, I'm, I'm so sorry I asked the question. I fail. I just wanted to, to discuss it and talk about it. And you just hit me with an answer that doesn't really fit me. And so these questions, I think, can really help us engage with others. They give us an opportunity to listen and, and, and hear what they're saying hear what God is saying, and and gives us an opportunity to think through the answers. And the first question I want to ask, when someone goes, how can a loving God allow suffering? The first question is something like, well, what kind of suffering do you mean? What do you have in mind when you ask that question? Because here's the thing, when people say, why does God allow suffering? They're often asking things You know, in in very different ways. So, for instance, sometimes people will be asking a very personal question. Why does God allow bad things to happen? Why does God allow suffering? For some, it's very personal. You know, maybe they've just experienced the the painful loss of a child. Maybe they feel the gaping wound open up by a, a suicide or an overdose, whatever it might be. And, it, and it's out of that hurt and that pain that they ask the question. And if we launch straight into, well, God allows suffering because God gave man free choices, we'll, we'll miss the person completely. Because if you, and many of us have, have experienced deep pain and suffering, it's not hy- hypothetical to you, it's personal. You're like, I, I, I'm seeing that God is responsible for this. At the very least, he could have stopped it, but he didn't. And so we don't want to come with an abstract answer. We want to talk to people about what they've experienced and how they feel and understand where they're coming from rather than just slap them with a pre-prepared answer. On the other hand, we might sometimes find people for whom the issue isn't as personal. Often it's just because people have, have watched the news. And so it's not uncommon to to hear someone say, um, for me, a loving God wouldn't allow suffering. I mean, I understand your arguments for a creator God in Genesis 1 and 2, and I can see you have a good argument, but I just don't believe that a loving God would allow suffering. And if you press the person, what they mean might be something like, if there was a loving God, children wouldn't die of leukemia. And babies wouldn't get killed in car crashes. And child rapists wouldn't be allowed to live. And what that person is saying is, I've just seen too much sadness and too much evil in the world. And in fact, that kind of answer brings together two different types of suffering, which it's quite important to to differentiate, because on the one hand, there's suffering that's a a result of death being in the world, from the fact that the world is decaying and the fact that there are things like cancer and tsunamis and earthquakes and, and crib deaths and awful things like that. But you see, an earthquake isn't evil. It's just there. I mean, it's tragic and it's terrible, but it isn't evil. It just happens to be in the world. And so there's suffering that's as a result of death, but there's also suffering that is a result of evil, which is that people do dreadful, evil things willfully to other people. You see the difference? One of them is just because of the way the world is. The other one is because of things that human beings do willingly causing suffering to other people. And the evil things are like, you know, the Holocaust, or pedophilia, or rape, or torture, or genocide, or war, car crashes. So in other words, the the person is saying, well, I've got two problems with the idea of a loving God. One of them has to do with death in the world, and the other has to do with evil in the world. And in the Scriptures, those two things are very closely linked. In, in, In fact, in the verses we just read, death enters the world as a result of evil entering the world. And, and today we're going to spend our time looking at the origin of evil, which is what this story is primarily about, why and how people have ended up doing the things that they've done. And then in a couple weeks' time, we're going to come back and we're going to look at the issue of death and look at that as well separately. So, so some, some suffering is as the result of, of death and some suffering is as a result of evil. And today we're going to focus on the issue of evil, focus on why it is that evil happens. And so the first question to ask is, what type of suffering do you mean? That's a good place to start. But the second question is then to ask, once we understand that, is to ask, now, okay, do you believe that it's possible to have free choices and not have any suffering? You see, that's the point of the tree in Genesis 3. The tree in Genesis 3 represents the human decision to decide, I'm going to do either what's right or what's wrong. I, 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 I want to either know only good, or I want to know good and evil. It's either my way, or it's God's way. I'm either going to choose what's, what's for the greater happiness of all, or I'm going to choose my independence and my personal freedom. Just choose what I feel like doing at the moment. And that choice faces every human being. And so I want to ask the question, do you think it's possible to have no suffering if people have free choices? Because that's what the tree is all about. If it hadn't been that tree, it would have been something else. Uh, God would have told the people to do something at some stage and the people would have said, no, stuff that. I'm not taking my orders from you. I'm going to do what I want. And and that question, are you going to, pursue the greater happiness of everyone or are you going to pursue or am I going to pursue you know my independence is an issue that faces all of us do you remember when you were a toddler you know, had a toddler tantrum I mentioned this briefly last week you know you I mean you used to go upstairs and sulk and you know knew but that, that your quickest route to happiness for the whole family was for you to go downstairs and apologize but you didn't do it did you You just sat there stewing on it and wallowing in it and getting so angry because I'm not submitting to them. I'm not not saying I'm wrong. You knew that your quickest route to happiness was to say sorry. But you still held on to the bitterness and anger because you were prizing your dependence over your happiness. That's what Adam did. Again, I mentioned it last week, the very famous poem called Invictus by W.E. Henley. You're, you've surely come across the famous line, my, my, my head is bloodied but unbowed. And, 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 and he wrote the following lines and it sums up exactly what human beings do and exactly what Adam did. He, he, he said, it matters not how straight the gate or how charged with punishments the scroll I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, yes, wonderful, stirring writing. I, I will not bow down to anyone. I'm in charge. You think, that is the height of human stupidity. That is the reason for evil at one level. That is people saying, I'd rather be, I, I'd rather be unhappy and free than humble and happy. That's a ridiculous thing to do. And yet people all around us live like that. Many people in here live like that. We say, I don't care if this leads to greater happiness for more people. I'm still not going to do it because I refuse to submit to someone other than me. matters not how much punishment it causes or or how straight the line I have to walk. I'm not going to do it. I'm the captain. I get to make my own decisions. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And that's what the tree represents. So I want to ask you, do you think it's possible to have free choices and no suffering? You see, for me to have a free choice means that I can decide to do anything I like that is physically possible. So, for instance, I can just decide to decide to to slap Abe Drger. You know, I just walk past him sometimes and and I've decided that he's got a fairly slappable face. I, I don't know what it is. Now, in order for God to stop Abe from suffering, he'd have to stop me from being able to slap him. But if I'm just taken by the urge to absolutely slap Abe, then he's, you know, he's going to endure a certain degree of suffering. I mean, he's going to be moping around, and I know after the service, people will come up to him and say, you know, it's all right, we'll sort Daryl out, don't worry. But... but But for God to stop the suffering of Abe would require God to stop me from doing something I wanted to do. That's a silly example. But take speeding. Anyone here ever speed? Anyone here slow down when you see a speed trap? Because if you do, you're speeding, right? 38,000 people die each year in crashes on American roadways, causing a lot of suffering. A lot of people die on the roads, and a lot of more suffer injuries, you know, that permanently damage their lives. But all that suffering is caused by normal men and women, like you and me, deciding freely how much they're going to drink, which I hope isn't the, the issue, or how fast they're going to drive, or how carefully. Loads of suffering is caused by people like you and me driving too fast and not carefully enough. Very, very few are acts of God. Very, few, very, very few people are driving along and they have a car crash because a meteor, meteor falls out of the sky and kills them. Most happens because human beings like you and me make free choices. And for God to wipe out all suffering would require God not allowing any one of us to choose what we do when we're in our car. Now let's move to... a heavier weightier example there were some missionaries in Kenya a few years ago a few years back and someone made a choice one day to come into their house rob them rape her and shoot him in the head someone made a choice it was awful it was horribly tragic but it was simply the result of a human being making a choice And obviously, we can all attempt to influence the choices that other people make. We can say, don't kill, don't rob, don't rape, don't slap Abe Jijer, don't speed. But in order to stop all suffering, God would have to enforce those choices, wouldn't he? He'd have to say, no one is allowed to choose what they do, how fast they drive, or anything else that that might ever cause suffering to another person. I'm going to remove the right to choose. So that's the second question. Is it possible to have free choices with no suffering? And I think that the only way that's possible is for a human being, that is that human beings always choose to do what is in other people's interests. If human beings always say, I'm going to do to others what I would have them do to me, which incidentally is exactly what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. In other words, the only way that you can have no suffering with free choices is if everyone always made choices to do what is in other people's best interests. But we don't do that, do we? Now, lots of people faced with that scenario will say, well, that's right, people who rape and rob and kill, they shouldn't be allowed to make choices like that. But that leads to the third question, which is this. Have you ever caused suffering to other people? Because I know I have. I can be honest about that. I have frequently caused suffering to other people. Have you ever caused suffering to other people? Now, most people, when asked that, will admit that some things they have done have caused suffering to other people. Have you ever got divorced? A lot of people say, yeah, I actually got divorced and there were reasons for it but i know it caused suffering it caused suffering for my husband or wife and i know it caused suffering for my kids yeah i have there's an explanation but but i but i did do things i have done many things that caused suffering have you ever gossiped about somebody else in ways that would hurt them if they heard have you ever insulted somebody and brought them down in what you said most of us will readily admit that we have caused suffering to other people. We, we've pursued our freedom at the expense of someone else's happiness. Most of us have done exactly what we think other people shouldn't be allowed to do. And that is the genius of the story we've just read. Because the story of Genesis 3 starts almost uh, as you approach God and said, God, why is there suffering? And God says, no, hang on, let me ask you, why is there suffering? Why are you allowing suffering? And causing suffering. It turns the spotlight on us. And and, and so we're willing to, to shake the fist and say it's God's fault or it's other people's fault. And the story is just so clever and powerful because it turns around at us and says, actually, maybe it was you that made a choice that causes evil. And maybe you as a person are part of the problem. Maybe the line between good and evil doesn't go between me and God or between me and others. It goes right down the middle of me. Genesis 3 leaves you thinking, goodness me, I thought, I always assumed that I was different. But maybe I'm not. Maybe if I cause suffering, maybe if I've ju- done just what Adam did and said, maybe I've done that. I, 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 and I've said, no, I, I don't care if this causes a bit of suffering to others. I'm, I'm having exactly what I want, thank you very much. If that's the case, then maybe I'm part of the problem here famously reported that G.K. Chesterton once, once wrote to the Times. They threw out this question. Many of you will have heard this before. They threw out the question in the early 20th century. They asked, what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote the shortest letter on, on record to the Times. He wrote, sir, I am yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton was, was saying, if I'm to look for the problem with the world anywhere... I'm going to look right here. I'm going to say that actually I am the same as all these people who cause suffering. I do it as well because I prioritize my happiness, my freedom over the sufferings of others. Not all the time, not sadistically. I just do it from time to time. And and that's where suffering comes from. It happens when 7 billion of us are going, well, actually my freedom is more important than the suffering of others. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that we're all the same as the Nazis. Now, some people do worse things than others. Of course they do. But I'm saying that the fundamental problem with the Nazis and G.K. Chesterton and me and you is the same, which is that we are prepared to put our freedom above the suffering of others. That is one of the points of Genesis 3. So I want to ask that question sensitively and carefully, but I want to ask, have you ever caused suffering? And then the fourth question I want to ask is this, where do we draw the line? And what I mean by that is, we accept that suffering is the the free choice of human beings. We accept that. Causing suffering is something that human beings, if, if we have free choices, are going to do. We accept that that suffering, as awful and terrible as it is sometimes, is the result of free choices. But we also know that our free choices can cause suffering. Because presumably we would admit that they do. So the question is, where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line between, what get, but be, between who gets to cause suffering by making free choices and who doesn't? If, if the Hitlers shouldn't be allowed to live because they caused such suffering, should you? And if so, why? The writer John Blanchard puts it like this. I love this quote. He says, at what level should God intervene? We might say that he should have, shouldn't have allowed the worst offenders, the Hitlers, the Pol Pots, the Mao Zedongs of the world. We might say that he shouldn't have allowed them to do what he did. But what about the next level? Say, thugs, sadists, rapists, child abusers, and drug pushers. Should God step in and stop them? If he did, another layer of offenders would become the worst. Say, drunk drivers, shoplifters, burglars, and the like. If we argue like this, we would soon get to the point at which we would be demanding that God intervene to prevent all evil. Would you settle for that, even if it meant having your own thoughts, words, and actions controlled by a cosmic puppet master robbing you of all freedom and responsibility? Here's what he's saying, for God to destroy all suffering would mean God would have to destroy you. Have you ever thought about that? You say, why does a loving God allow suffering? Because a loving God allows you. If you're you're going to have a world with no suffering, there's going to be no Daryl in that world. You see, what would happen is we'd wipe out the Hitlers, and then we say, okay, now we wipe out the drug pushers and the child abusers, right? Now we'll wipe out the the burglars and the the drunk drivers, and then we'll wipe out the, the, and eventually I'm going to be the worst person in the world, aren't I? I'm going to be the most evil man in the world, and people will, go, will, will around the world will go, can you believe Daryl Brooker, the things that he says, the things that he, the things that he said, the most terrible things imaginable. God, why do you allow Daryl Brooker? And so I want to ask the question, where do we draw the line? And can I suggest that if we draw the line just above our head, that's not a very consistent position. If God was to destroy all suffering and evil, he would have to destroy you. What's the alternative? The only alternative that I can imagine is this, that God could make it possible for you and me as human beings with a tendency to evil to turn around from lives that cause suffering, turn around from lives that cause suffering willfully, our lives of self-centeredness, to get rid of our old selves and to trust him to show us how to live the life of love and then to give us the power to do it. And that is exactly what the Christian gospel does, right? God in Jesus has made it possible for us to turn around from our lives of self-centeredness that that, that cause suffering to others. He's made it possible for us to, to make a fundamental shift in our mindset and behavior so that we leave that behind. Turning around is called repentance. Trusting Jesus to show us how to live the life of love is called faith. And the power to live it out is called the Holy Spirit. The Christian gospel is exactly what you need if you struggle, as many do, with the problem of suffering. Because when we get to the point of, where, point of saying, where do, we, where do we draw the line? And the alternative looks like either wipe them all out or allow the world to continue with evil unchecked, the only option remaining is for God to come and fundamentally change the hearts of human beings and cause them to walk like he made them to walk rather than in their own interests. In other words, to undo Eden. To undo Genesis chapter 3. So then here's the fifth and final question. First question is, what kind of suffering do we mean? And then I want to ask, do you think it's possible to have free choices but not suffering? Then I want to ask, have you ever caused suffering? And then, where do you draw the line? And then finally, I want to ask, why do you think that suffering is even a problem at all? And here's what I mean. Pretty much all of us see suffering as a problem to be overcome in the world. We sense that something's wrong with the world when people suffer. And so we ask, what do we ask? Why? 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 Now, if there's no God, and we've simply emerged out of a chemical soup over billions of years, and we're simply here to propagate our genes to the next generation, we should not be aware at all that suffering should be a problem. If we've got no soul, no spirit, and we're just here to make our genes live out to the, onto the next generation, why are we aware that suffering shouldn't happen? what's wrong with it? In the animal kingdom, the strong kill the weak all the time. I mean, you just watch a nature documentary. I mean, just watch Life of Mammals with David Attenborough. I mean, what a lovely voice. What could possibly go wrong? And you turn on the episode about the carnivores, the meat eaters, and it's wonderful. You see the zebra, you know, sort of loping across the plain, but then you know what's coming when it cuts to the lion. And you know that you're about to watch savage blood and thunder. And the lion leaps and tears its fangs into the zebra's hindquarters, rips them to pieces, and then savages the carcass. Now, we don't think we've just seen the most evil thing that's ever happened. Because we know that strong things kill weak things. That's just the way the world works. So here's the question. If that's the way the world works... Why do we struggle with the idea that strong people kill weak people? What's wrong with the Holocaust? It's just strong people killing weak people. I mean, why are people making such a fuss about the Ukraine? I mean, we, don't we understand that big countries will gobble up small countries, that the powerful do, will do what they will and the weak will suffer what they must? I, I mean... What's the big deal? Isn't it about just strong people killing weak people? It's just, part, it's just the way life is. Why don't we just look at it all and just shrug our shoulders and just carry on with our day? Yet none of us do because there's something in us that says, no, no. Suffering of human beings made in the image of God is not supposed to be part of creation. And I would argue that that points strongly to the idea that we are made in the image of God and that God has given us that sense rather than the world we live in. Because if you just look at the world, you'd conclude nothing is more natural than strong people killing weak people. And yet we know that it's not right. We know that it's unjust, that it's wrong, that it's evil. We use words like that freely about 9-11 or about the Rwandan genocide or the Ukrainian invasion and we say this shouldn't happen. Yet in the broader terms of the earth, we should be able to just look on and shrug our shoulders and just carry on with our day. Where do we get that idea from? Where do we get the idea that there's something deeply disturbing and wrong with it? Could it be the fact that we feel like this indicates that, th- that these things were never supposed to happen and they're not meant to be part of this creation? I, th- I think the fact that we feel like this points strongly to the fact that there is a God of love who has, for reasons that we don't fully even understand, allowed a world where people make free choices and cause suffering, but we know in our hearts but the world isn't, to be, isn't supposed to be like this. We know in our hearts that we should be in a world where there is no death and no suffering and no tears. We know that. And that's why we feel as we do when we see it not working that way. In a world with no God, it is inexplicable that we feel the way we do about strong people killing weak people. In a world with a God of love, who created the heavens and the earth and made man in His image, it is the most natural thing in the world that we should feel this awful sense of pain when suffering comes upon us. And as I said, we're gonna we're gonna look in a couple of weeks' time. We'll come back and we'll look at the issue of death because this doesn't answer the question of cancer or tsunamis, and and I know that. And we're gonna look at that as a separate issue, but. But I want us to see, see that by asking these five questions that it may help us in, in our struggles. And, and they may help us as we in, try to engage with others. But, but at the end, of the end of it all, the answer to suffering is not abstract. It's not an argument it's not even a, a series of questions. The answer to suffering is Jesus. Imagine that all of humanity got together and said, right, we're going to have a committee and work out what God would have to to go through to understand human suffering. Poor people would say, well, I think he should be homeless, frequently hungry, and he should be constantly moving from place to place. Bereaved people would say, no, this guy needs to lose a parent and perhaps a close friend as well. Outcasts would say, no, I want him to face a... A major social stigma, accusations of illegitimacy or drunkenness or demon possession. Holocaust victims would say, I think he should be Jewish. People in occupied territories would say, I want him to be brought up under an oppressive foreign regime. The abused would say, I think he should face physical violence, humiliation, abandonment and betrayal by the people closest to him, and the perpetrators never get caught and never punished. I don't know what you'd throw in, maybe being murdered in his prime or facing extended torture and slow death. Maybe, maybe you've felt the silence of heaven, you've thought, God can't hear me. Maybe that, maybe, maybe you'd say, yeah, even God doesn't answer him when he cries out. And that would be the most profound and wide-ranging suffering imaginable. Then and only then, God will be able to say, I know what it's like. Then and only then would you be able to say that God has provided suffering's answer. Does that sound like anybody we know? The gospel's powerful. The The gospel points to the need for God to come. And make himself like us, experience what suffering is like, and then break its power. And that's exactly what the Christian gospel is. The the gospel points to a species that has chosen the wrong things and needs help to make the right choices, needs a fresh power from somewhere outside of themselves to be able to do what's right. That's what the exactly what the gospel does. The gospel tells you that. That in the world you, you live in, as you look around, that, that, that suffering death ought not to be there. And the gospel tells you that one day it won't be. And that the resurrection of Jesus has exploded it permanently. So if you, if you live daily in this world, collapsing with suffering, and you're just thinking, what is the answer? How do I cope with this? I want you to know that without Jesus, pain and suffering does not make sense. But with Jesus, we have a God who stepped into his own creation and suffered and endured pain on our behalf and gives purpose to that pain. We don't always see it. And I don't know maybe what you're going through in life, but I can tell you this. We have a God who says, I know what it's like. I've been through everything you have. I have walked a mile in your shoes, and I'm with you right now. And we'll help you through whatever you're facing. If you have a struggle with suffering, the gospel is exactly what you need. Let's pray. Lord God, we we ask.